As most of you know, we are working our way through the book of Jeremiah. We're getting near to the end. And we find ourselves this morning in chapter 37, really wanting to read a good portion of these next three chapters, 37, 38, and 39, because it's all narrative. It's all one story, and it's helpful to see what's happening across these three chapters. So I'm going to just ask you to remain seated this morning as I read, and I'll try to give you some clues as to the verses that I'm on, because I'm not going to read every one. But again, we're trying to get one big picture in our minds here, and it just spans these three chapters. So we're going to begin this morning in Jeremiah chapter 37 at verse 2. But neither he, that's Zedekiah, nor his servants, nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. King Zedekiah sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelimah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Masarai, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Please pray for us to the Lord our God. Now Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. And the army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt. And when the Chaldeans, or that's the Babylonians, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, thus thus shall you say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me, Behold... Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt, to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city, and they shall capture it and burn it with fire. Moving to verse 11. Now when the Chaldeans' army had withdrawn from Jerusalem... At the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. And when he was at the Benjamin gate, a sentry there named Erejiah, the son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, It is a lie, I am not deserting. But Erejiah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. And the king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. And Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you or to your servants or to this people that you have put me in prison? Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Now hear, please, O my lord the king, let my humble plea come before you, and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan." lest I die there. Verse chapter 38. Now Zephatiah heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. 
Thus says the Lord, he who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the officials said to the king, let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. And King Zedekiah said, behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malachi, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. When Ebed, Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. The king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, and Ebed went from the king's house and said to the king, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern, and he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed, the Ethiopian, Take three men with you from here, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. Verse 14, then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. The king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, I will tell you. Will you not? If I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you counsel, will you not listen to me? You will not listen to me. Then King Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah, As the Lord lives who made your souls, our souls, I will not put you to death or deliver you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, If you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them, and they deal with me cruelly. Chapter 39 In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, tenth month of, Zech, of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and all, his, all of his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 4. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar the king, and he passed sentence on him. And the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. And then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah. 
and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Verse 15. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men whom you are afraid. For I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord." Let's take a moment to meditate on that story silently before the Lord before we talk about it together. At this point, we'll dismiss the kindergarten and first graders. As you see, chapter 37 through 39 give us an account of the fall of Jerusalem. It's was something Jeremiah has been talking about for nearly 40 years. And he gives one, one, one account, and I say one account because there's another account of the fall of Jerusalem in chapter 52. One of the most difficult things when you're reading through the book of Jeremiah is to try to understand how it works out chronologically because it's not written in that way. So we have one account here in, verse, in chapter 39 and one in 
52 that provides a little more detail. And in these three chapters, what we see is sort of the, the sad closing events of the fall of a once great nation, Israel. And primarily the problem in Israel is a failure of leadership. And that leadership, although the, the structure of Israel is different than it would be in our own country, but Jeremiah has been spending his time preaching to the people in the pew. And what he's saying to them for 40 years is the country is going down because the church itself is going down. And if you people in the temple don't get this turned around and you don't leave idolatry and you turn towards the Lord, then the whole country is going to fail. And Zedekiah was at the leadership reign and he was not turning around and the country was not turning around. And so we have the fall of Israel. The two things that I want to do this morning is one, make sure we have a clear understanding of the story itself. And I'll call this first point reading review. I use that term because that's the term my wife uses in the summer when she teaches students at Cape Fear Academy who have supposed to have been reading their summer reading material all summer long and they're just coming for review at the other, at the end of the week. But you know as well as I do that most of the students haven't done any of the reading prior to the class, and so she's really just trying to help them understand the story so that when they come into class and the teacher gives some applications, they have some base from which to operate from. They understand what has happened in that story. And so this morning I want to do a little reading review. Now, I'm just reminded at this moment that Nancy sometimes returns home and says, you know, her students weren't particularly paying attention at reading review. And so I'm going to be watching to make sure you're all paying attention during our reading review portion here on point one. And then I just want to follow the story by giving some applications from this very pivotal moment in the history of Jerusalem and Judah and the country itself of Israel into our own story. So reading review and then several points of application. First of all, let's make sure we understand what's happening. Because of unfaithfulness, as I said, the, the Judah had become very weak politically. Toward the end of Jeremiah's life, Judah was really nothing more than this football that's being tossed back and forth between the superpower to the north, Babylon, and the superpower to the south, Egypt. And in between is a little strip of land called Israel that basically serves as a bridge for these two superpowers to enter and have these battles. And Judah doesn't have any real strength politically, and so they're just being tossed back and forth between Babylon and Egypt. Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. And Zedekiah even himself is kind of a puppet king. Because Babylon had already invaded Israel one other time and they took the king off the throne and they put Zedekiah in because they knew Zedekiah was a spineless, sort of marshmallowy type of leader. 
and that whatever they, whatever orders Babylon gave to Zedekiah, Zedekiah would bend and mold himself to do whatever the Babylonians wanted. And so they put him in as king. And his last 11 years, or his 11-year reign, was from 597 to 586. Near the end of his reign, he mistakenly thought that Egypt, the superpower to the south, was going to be able to overcome Babylon. And all he was interested in was being on the winning side. So he shifted his allegiance from Babylon to Egypt. And he put all of his marbles in the Egyptian basket, hoping that God was going to use Egypt to conquer Babylon, and then he would be set free. Well, that was against the advice of Jeremiah and infuriated the Babylonians. And so we reach this particular point, seeing Zedekiah, a very ineffective political leader, mostly because he's interested in his own life and his own legacy. When a country has a leader that's primarily interested in his own life and his own legacy, you have a country in peril. When a church has a leader who's primarily interested in his own life and his own legacy, you have a church that's in peril. And so Judah is in peril because Zedekiah is just going to do whatever works out best for him. He's interested in saving his own skin. He's interested in having his own legacy. And we understand that from our own political climate today. Well, the chapter really breaks down into three parts, and I wanted to read all of that so you could see what was happening. You have these three interviews with Jeremiah. You have this one interview between uh, Jeremiah and the people that Zedekiah sends to Jeremiah. And then there's trouble for Jeremiah. And then you have this second interview that's a face-to-face between Zedekiah and Jeremiah. And then there's trouble for Jeremiah. And then you have this third interview, and then at the end, the fall of Jerusalem. So I want to take us through these three things, or these three little pictures. Chapter 37, we see in verse 2, neither Zedekiah nor the people of Israel were interested in listening to God. But what was happening? Babylon was on a siege of Jerusalem, trying to breach the walls, and there's a lot of pressure on Zedekiah. He sees the, the Babylonian, Babylonian army from the top of the wall, and he sees that they're ready to breach the wall, and he sends, the Jer- sends a group to Jeremiah saying, please, would you pray for us? Maybe, the, maybe God would intervene at this particular point. And, and you've met people like this. They don't, they don't really have any interest in spiritual things. But when the pressure's on, when war comes, when there's some sort of uh, economic disaster, when there's some sort of weather disaster, then they come racing to the church or they come racing to a spiritual person and they say, hey, I'm interested in prayer right now. If you can somehow get God to work right now, that'd be great. It's all very superficial. You see it very frequently from the president's office on down. 
People who genuinely are not very spiritual people, when the pressure is on, when there's some kind of disaster, they're asking for any kind of help they can get. And if the pastors can pray and get God to move in some way that's favorable to them, then that's great. And you see what's happening? They never really change allegiance. They're saying, I would like God to do what I want Him to do. And so that's the kind of leadership Judah is experiencing. Zedekiah is just somebody who just pays lip service to things of God until the pressure's on and then he's really interested in having God work on his side. And he asked Jeremiah, would you pray for us? And Jeremiah says this in verse 11, chapter 37. Actually, it's not verse 11, it's verse, nine, verse 7. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah who sent you to me to inquire, Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt, to its own land, and the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against the city, and they shall capture it and burn it with fire. So, he sends the message back, and Egypt gets into the battle. The siege lifts to some degree, and Zedekiah thinks, well, I guess that's our answer to prayer in some way. And they go back sort of living to their own normal lifestyle. And when the, when the pressure's off of the city, people can kind of move in and out of the city with a little bit more freedom. And Jeremiah decides he needs to take care of some business back in his own hometown, Anathoth. So he walks outside of the gate of the city, moving towards his own hometown, and he gets arrested. And most of the people know Jeremiah by now. He's at the end of his ministry. And they don't like Jeremiah. They haven't really liked the message that he's been giving because he hadn't been giving a real kind message to the people in the church. And so they arrest Jeremiah, and they beat him, and they throw him into a dungeon. So that's the first picture we have. Jeremiah, would you pray for us? Message from the king. Jeremiah experiences trouble. He's beaten and thrown into prison. Second picture. After many days, Jeremiah's sent for by Zedekiah. Zedekiah says, I'd like to have a face-to-face. Now, just picture Zedekiah is about 30 years old. He's the son of Josiah, the one who found the book of the law in the temple, the one who really depended on Jeremiah. And now Jeremiah walks into this chamber. He's an old man. He's in his 60s. He's been preaching for 40 years. He's nearing the end of his life. And these two superpowers, so to speak, come in. This 30-year-old king who's not really interested in things of the Lord And this old prophet walks in. Is there any word from the Lord? Zedekiah asked. What what would you want to say if you weren't a man of God to the king if you were Jeremiah? 
I've been preaching the same message for 40 years. You don't need a CD. It's the same thing every time. Every time I come to the temple, I'm saying the same thing, Zedekiah. It's not going to be a brand new message here. Your heart is turned away from the Lord. If you would just turn back, it's the same message. And Zedekiah, any word, meaning anything favorable to me, I'm fishing for things that are going to work for my favor. Jeremiah is more patient, maybe, than you and I would be with Zedekiah. And he gives him the same message, verse 19. And I think he kind of needles him here. Hey, Zedekiah, where are your prophets that have been saying Babylon's not going to come and attack? Let's get those guys in here. Doesn't look like they've been doing a very good job prophesying. In case you haven't looked out your window recently. And then at the end, he makes a request not to be sent back to the dungeon because he feels like he's going to die there. And so Zedekiah does make a concession and sends him to what's called the guardhouse, where at least he receives some ration of bread and he has at least some freedom to speak to some degree. And then the second part we see trouble comes from Jer- for Jeremiah. Chapter 38, sometime later, an official named Sheftah hears the message of Jeremiah. It's not a very encouraging message. The city is going to be overthrown. You shouldn't stay in the city because if you stay in the city, you're going to die by the sword. You should abandon the city. You should abandon the nation. You should go out and give yourself up because you're not really fighting against the Babylonians anymore, people of God. You are fighting against God himself. And you are not going to win. And that's not a real encouraging message if you're a military leader for Judah. And so Sheftah comes and hears the message And he asked the king if he could put Jeremiah to death. I want you to listen just at Zedekiah's very spineless response. Verse 5, chapter 38. Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. I mean, it's like he just says, you know, whatever... I just don't have any control over that. Whatever you guys want to do with Jeremiah is fine. And so Jeremiah is taken to a cistern. Cistern is sort of a teardrop shape uh, way of holding water in the ancient Near East. Probably has a smaller opening at the top and at least has some depth because they have to lower Jeremiah in by a rope. And so they open the top. They look down, they get Jeremiah down to the bottom. Now there's no water in it, it's just mud. So he just sinks down into the mud. They pull the rope back out, they put the lid back on, and they just leave Jeremiah to starve to death. Now I could stop here and spend a whole sermon thinking about what Jeremiah must have been thinking about at this point. I mean, he's had a very difficult life. He's been a very faithful person. 
And here, near the end of his life, what looks like the end of his life, he gets lowered down into a cistern, he sinks down into the mud, and they put the cover on top, and he's sitting there in the darkness. And he could have been recalling what I would have been recalling, chapter 1, verse 19, God saying this to Jeremiah, They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Well, if I had been Jeremiah, I would want to be reminding the Lord of what He told me. Hey, because, God, it looks like they're prevailing. I mean, I don't know if you're paying attention here, but I'm in the cistern. And it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to get out of this mess. That's another sermon. Then we have this odd twist, chapter 38, verse 7. A guy named Ebed-Melech comes into the picture, and he hears that this prophet Jeremiah is in the cistern. And Ebed-Melech actually isn't even a name. It's a designation. It means servant of the king. And so this man, who doesn't really even have a name, he just has a designation, he's a, he's a servant of the king, he's an Ethiopian man, he's an African man, he's, he's almost certainly a black man, who's serving in the court, he's a eunuch. So physically he's disformed by some, by some means, and he's the one who comes and says, he stands up to the king and says, King, we need to get this man of God out of the cistern. And Zedekiah relents and says, okay, let's pull him out and we'll put him back up in the guardhouse. Then we have this third interview, chapter 38, verse 14. Zedekiah, once again, for the third time, asks for a meeting with Jeremiah. He looks at Jeremiah and says, don't, don't, don't hide anything from me. I haven't, in case you haven't noticed. This sort of reminds me of that uh, movie from A Few Good Men. You know, that, that you know, Zedekiah is saying, you know, tell me the truth. And Jeremiah is going, you can't handle the truth. I mean, I've been telling you the truth the whole time. And Zedekiah is sort of leaning in for one more bite. Is there any word? Is there any truth? Don't, you know, don't sugarcoat it. Don't hide it from me this time, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah faithfully reports back the same message. I mean, what a faithful servant. Verse 17, the city will fall. But listen, Zedekiah, even now. Even though this city is going to fall, you can be spared. Your household can be spared. And the whole city will not be burned down if just now you would turn around and move in a Godward direction. Thousands of people can be saved and spared if you, the king, would do what's right. Listen to Zedekiah's response, verse 19. I'm afraid of the Judeans. I'm afraid of my own people. They might deal cruelly with me. 
See how spineless that is? I'm afraid of my own people. I'm not afraid of God Almighty. I'm afraid of the people that are in my congregation. I can't do the right thing because they might all get on my bad side. Jerusalem Falls, chapter 39. Zedekiah doesn't listen. The army, the Babylonian army, comes in the front door and Zedekiah and his family run out the back door. And they're caught. Verse 6 through 8, listen to this again. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his own eyes. The last thing Zedekiah saw was that his family was killed. And then the king put out the eyes of Zedekiah and took him off to Babylon. The failure of leadership resulted in the fall of a family, of a city, and of a once great nation. People were too afraid to follow after God Almighty because of what other people might think or might say about them. Let me give you just a few points of application. Number one, I'm quoting this from Don Carson, who was speaking on this passage. There is nothing more tragic or damning than refusing to listen to God's word. There is nothing more tragic or damning than a refusal to listen to God's word. We know this from these chapters. If you were here last week, we saw it when Jehoiakim, the king before Zedekiah, remember he got the scroll and he was the one who cut the scroll and he put it in the fire and he was put to death. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. The fall of mankind was due to what? A failure to listen and obey God's word. Remember when Joshua was coming into the land of Israel and he's on the the east side of the River Jordan and he's nervous about moving in across the River Jordan and taking over what's going to become Israel. God visits him and he says, Jeremiah, do not be afraid. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This nation is going to be prosperous and successful when the spiritual leadership of the nation takes hold of the Word of God and follows after the Word of God. Then you're going to have a prosperous nation. But if I'm just sidelined and I'm just asked to do things in a country's life or I'm just asked to do things in a personal life just like a butler would, then that nation's not going to be prosperous. Zedekiah just had a passing interest in God's Word. It was nothing more than reading a fortune. I mean, you know, when you have a fortune teller, if you don't like your fortune, you just wait to the next day and you get another one 
from the horoscope. You just kind of move around to the right teller who tells you exactly what you want. And Zedekiah, his problem is he only preferred certain parts of the word. He only wanted the the pretty parts. He didn't want anything about suffering. And so he passed on really following after God's word. And we need to ask ourselves, are we really listening to God's word? Do you come to church with this attitude? I'm looking for the church to shore up what I already have determined is right. Or are you coming saying, I need the Word of God to shape and reorient the direction I'm moving. It may be in the same direction. It may be in a totally different direction. But are you open to God's Word saying, you're going in the wrong direction. You need to turn and move in this way. Or do you just come looking for the pleasant parts and saying, I just like God to affirm the direction I'm going. I'm not really looking for a new direction. I think this is one of the very tragic pieces about the prosperity gospel. And you can get a big heavy dose of it anytime you turn on your television and you watch the religious channel. It's all about prosperity and prettiness for you. It's not about God. It's not about suffering. You're not going to be able to get the book of Jeremiah preached by any of those preachers. Because we have a massive influx of people coming into the church saying, I just want you to affirm the things that I'm going after. Not, I need my what I'm going after completely reoriented. The second thing to notice, I think, here is the importance of the long-suffering of God and His eventual judgment. I mean, don't you get frustrated at Zedekiah here? I mean, each time, you're, come, come on, Zedekiah. I mean, this is it. This is your chance. This is your chance to turn around. And this is just three times over ten years. But Judah, Judah's had centuries of time, prophet after prophet, coming and saying, turn around. And Jeremiah's just sitting here with the last, Jeremiah the last prophet sitting here with Zedekiah the last king. And it comes to an end. Eventually there's a day of judgment, not only for Zedekiah, but for each of us. The New Testament says it this way in Second Peter. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient. He's not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to repent, to turn around. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. You know, it may be that there's somebody here this morning that has heard this message over and over and over. 
or, or, or just listening, you know God is speaking to you and saying your name. You need to turn around. You need to turn away from this. And it's not the first time he said it. You know exactly that point in your life. This needs to be turned away from. And you're hearing me, much like Zedekiah heard the prophet Jeremiah. One more time, God is using me to speak to you to say, turn around. It's not too late. Turn back. Because one day it could be too late. This is the day. Turn around. Finally, last point, I just have to note a couple of comparisons. Fairly obvious. One comparison between Ebed, Melech, and ourselves, and one comparison between Jeremiah and Jesus. Ebed, Melech, whatever his name is, is an outsider. He doesn't really have a name, he just has a designation, he's a servant. He's separated by nationality, he's separated by skin color. He's separated by some kind of physical deformity. And yet look in chapter 39, verse 15, the promises. Or verse 18, for I, this is God saying, I will surely save you. You shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war because you have put your trust in me. You see, getting into the kingdom of God has nothing to do with having a title. It has nothing to do with your skin color. It has nothing to do with any kind of physical ability. You get in because you've trusted in the Lord. And I want to really emphasize this point for men. Men... We already have in our culture plenty of Zedekiahs. We we do not need one more Zedekiah. We've got plenty of spineless, marshmallowy men in our culture. People who have titles, they're like a king. But when it comes to doing what's right, when it comes to doing what's principled, when it comes to standing up and facing people down, whether that's a boss, or whether that's a spouse, or whether that's a neighbor, or whether that's a politician, we must have men who can stand up for what's right and have a spine and say, I'm taking my stand right here. I am not going to be moved. I might be murdered, but I'm not going to be moved. And our country is not on the brink of destruction based on what's happening on Tuesday. It's based on what's going to happen in this church and churches all across the nation. 
The nation is dying for people in the pew to stand up, not people in politics to stand up. The nation of God must rise up from within the walls, not outside the walls. We cannot go outside this wall on Tuesday and just pray that God sends us the right leadership. We must be the right leadership. We need people to stand up for what's right. And if we do not, we will get what we deserve in the White House or the State House or any other house. Jeremiah and Jesus. The parallels are obvious. Jeremiah faithfully presents the word in the difficult time. Massively disbelieved by his own people. Jesus presents the word in a difficult time. Massively disbelieved by his own creation. Jeremiah is accused of misleading a nation. Jesus is is accused of misleading a nation. Jeremiah and Jesus are both tortured. Jeremiah has to deal with spineless Zedekiah, the king. Jesus has to deal with spineless Pilate, the ruler. Jeremiah is put into a cistern like a tomb. Jesus is put in a tomb. One crucial difference, the end of verse chapter 39 There's some vindication. I mean, what happens at the end of the chapter is all the bad guys are put to death. Zedekiah, his house, all the people who'd been working against Jeremiah, they're all put to death at the sword Nebuchadnezzar. And the one righteous man, Jeremiah, is set free. In the Gospels, the one righteous man is put to death. Why? To set all the enemies free. You and me. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he's looking at the people he has called his friends who are all going to desert him. And he is going to give his life for those people, for the people who put the nails in his hands, for you you and I. And the one righteous man comes to every enemy, you and me, and says, because of my death, you're set free. You're free. But like Ebed-Melech, we must put our full trust in Him. So we're reminded of that on a Sunday like today. Come, enemies, 
who have been set free because you've completely trusted in the one innocent one who has died on your behalf. I'll ask the elders to come and the music will play and when you're prepared, Lord, I pray that you would bless now this time that as people walk down the aisle they'll remember that they were once enemies set free by the gospel set free by the Son of God who now now stands at the right hand of God Almighty and will one day come again to judge the whole world and we can live without any condemnation because of what you have done on our behalf. Please meet us here in a very special way, I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.